Well, we have uh, been, been going now for a few weeks in the book of John, and so I'll ask you to go to the book of John once again. We're in the section of the book of John. I'm calling this first series, Who is Jesus? And uh, that is what we've been talking about, and we're going to continue with that this morning. We're going to finish up chapter one this morning. It's taken us about five weeks, but uh, we're going we're gonna to finish up chapter one this morning, be ready to talk about Jesus turning the water into wine next week in chapter two. But uh, we are we're going to continue this morning in chapter 1, and I want to talk about the witnesses of Jesus proclaim Him. This is what they do. The last three weeks we've been talking and taking an intentionally hesitating look at the deity of Jesus. Last week I spent most of the time in just one verse. It really is a mountain peak of Scripture. It's John chapter 1 and verse 14. It speaks um, so clearly of the fact that deity became humanity. That God, in, the, in His person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, became a man. He didn't just put on manhood. He didn't put it on like a coat. He didn't make some sort of spiritual appearance as a man. No, no, no. Jesus became human. He dwelt and lived among us. He displayed the glory of God. He did it by that constant balance of grace and truth. So fleeting for us. We get strong on grace or strong on truth, not a balance one way or the other. And it, neither is right. But Jesus was the balance. He brought grace and truth to light. He never sacrificed the truth in order to show grace. And he never forgot grace as he brightly shone the truth. And the truth is, without grace, we are lost. Isn't that true? We're lost without the grace of God. Now, we talked about the names of Jesus and how they declare His deity. Those names were the Word, the Light, Son of God, Christ, Lamb of God, King of Israel, and Son of Man. They all will appear in the first chapter, each and every one of them declaring the deity of Jesus Christ. Next, last week, we talked about the works of Jesus, uh, what he did, how he identified himself as God, as only God can do by naming those uh, acts that he did. All in chapter one, what did he do? Well, he created the world. He give, gave us and gives us salvation. He reveals God. That's how we are able to see God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He baptizes with the Spirit. That's verse 33. He examines the hearts of men, 42 and 47 to 48. He forgives sin. Aren't you glad he does? Amen. And he opens the way to heaven, and he is the way to heaven. Those are all just the acts. That's just the works of Jesus, all in chapter 1. Now, today, we're going to look at uh, and see what chapter 1 has to say about the testimony of the witnesses, the witnesses who gave testimony to the identity of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to uh, just stand, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture here, if you would. Let's just stand to our feet. And I'm not sure whether I told them we're going to read 19 to 28 or 19 to 29, but we are going to read through verse 29. And if it's not on the screen and I keep reading, don't be lost, all right? I'm just going to read through verse 29. And so we're going to begin and read that in just a moment. Now, before we read this, I just want to say something to you. <clears throat> I'm overwhelmed today with this privilege. It's very easy to take things for granted in life, isn't it? I'm overwhelmed by this privilege. For 21 years, I've been able to stand and preach to you, and you've been listening. <laughs> and uh, 
What a privilege to have an eager congregation to listen to the Word of God. I just want you to know, this is my greatest privilege. And I thank God and I thank you. Second, it's a privilege for you to have a Bible in your hand and nobody trying to take it out of your hand. Isn't it a privilege? Do you know how many people in the world couldn't afford one if they wanted one? Or in some countries, if they had one, they would kill them? We are so privileged. A few moments ago, we sang a song. And uh, I don't know whether I'm just getting old or emotional. uh, Or both. (laughs) I'm getting emotional as I get old. But we sang that song and and the the phrase that repeated was, Great are you, Lord. (laughs) The Lord is great, isn't he? Uh, Did you know in the book of Acts that uh, at one point the pagans of the city of Ephesus tried to drown out what was going on when Paul was trying to speak by crying out for the space of two hours. They never stopped. They were saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours. They had passion about it. I mean, they were just all stirred up about Diana. And they had this myth about a star falling and it No, I won't even go into it. But for two hours, we sang a few minutes ago, great are you, Lord. Can I I just ask you, can we just say this, great are you, Jesus? Can we just say that on the count of three? One, two, three. Great are you, Jesus. Thank you so very much. Let's read John chapter... One And let's read verse 19 to 29. Let's read it together. And here it is. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a sermon. You know, I wish I could learn from John. How many words are in his sermon? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Twelve words. (laughs) And what a sermon it was. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. Key phrase this morning. We'll look at it together. Father, again, we ask you to bless the preaching and teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, this word witness appears uh, in John's gospel quite often. I've got a big list of the verses, but I'm going to jump that and say, what is a witness? What is a witness? Well, a witness is a person who has seen, heard, experienced an event or person with firsthand knowledge. That's what a witness is. A witness is a person who has seen, heard, or experienced an event or person with firsthand knowledge. These witnesses that we're going to discuss today in the Bible can be trusted because they had personal contact with Christ and their testimony of the facts gained them nothing. In other words, they're not testifying for money. They're not expert witnesses being paid to show up in court. No. And they don't gain them money. Not, they don't gain them anything. Not money, not prestige or power. In fact, the very witness that they give gets them in such trouble to the point that before they're very old, most of them are going to be killed with the exception of the guy who wrote this one. They were killed for it. Their witness would, there is no evidence that they lied and their witness would stand in court today. So we're going to name these witnesses quickly that are in this first chapter. I'm just going to go through them. You've got a sheet there. You can write these down. And, uh, or you can find them on your electronic device. It says here, John the Baptist is the first witness that we'll talk about. Verse 7, 15, 29 says, uh, he is the witness. I am a witness. Uh, he gave witness. It says over and over. And his witness was, behold, the Lamb of God. Then the other witness, first one, John the Baptist. Second, John the Apostle. John the Apostle. He's the writer of the book. And he said, we beheld his glory in verse 14. So he's an eyewitness. Verse, or then third of all, the Old Testament prophets gave witness. Uh, verse number 45, Moses and all the prophets gave witness of the one that was to come. Uh, verse 33 and 34 says the Holy Spirit was the witness. And uh, John said, I saw, or John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove upon one. And the Lord had told me the one upon whom I see the Spirit descend in the form of the dove, he is the one. And then Andrew, we talked about this and preached on it. Andrew was a witness. He was a soul winner, and he started at home. And folks, uh, these, once again, these banners are not here just to decorate the room. Like uh, Philip, let's find friends. And like Andrew, let's find families. Let's invest, invite, and, and include people in our lives for the purpose of evangelism so they can know the good news of the gospel. Well, Andrew did that. He was a soul winner. He was a witness. Philip, he was a witness. That's verse 45. He backed up his testimony with the Word of God, and it's a wise policy for all witnesses. And then there was another witness, Nathaniel, verse 49, he says, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. So all of these witnesses. Now, I am not into numerology. I don't go crazy about numbers in the Bible. I think there are some significant numbers. Three is a big number. Three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, three days, three nights in the belly of the earth. Seven is a big number in the Bible. Twelve is a big number in the Bible. Forty really, really, really is a big number. Forty days and forty nights fasting, forty days and forty nights of rain. I said I'm not much about numbers, but I, there's a few numbers that are kind of important. But watch this one now. I, I think this is interesting. In chapter 1, there are seven names that are used for Jesus as deity. There are seven works that are listed for Jesus as deity. And there are seven witnesses that are given. Seven, seven, seven. You know, seven really is that complete number. 
your week's not finished unless you're in church on Sunday. You know that, right? Because there's seven days in a week, and we ought to be here. First day of the week is Sunday. Well, the work of witnesses is irreplaceable. John and Andrew were saved through a preacher, John the Baptist. Peter found Christ because of Andrew's personal work. Philip was called by Christ personally. Nathaniel found Christ through the word and Philip's testimony. And God uses different people in different circumstances. How many of you came to Jesus because of the preaching of the God's word in some church? Just raise your hand. That's how you came to Jesus. How many of you came to Jesus because of the witness or testimony or somebody sharing with you personally in life? Raise your hand. Just about equal. God uses different ways to reach people. Now we're looking at John's witness here. John the, John the Apostle is the one that is writing, and the one who the book is uh, largely about in the first part is John the Baptist. And remember, John the Baptist wrote no books, and he performed no miracles, but he was still called the greatest by Jesus himself, born of woman. He's the greatest up to that point. John now, let's talk about him for a moment. He was causing a stir in Jerusalem. He did not minister in Jerusalem, but his ministry was causing a stir. Uh, he was actually doing his ministry out in verse, it says verse 28, out in a place called Bethabara. Uh, it's totally unknown in the scriptures. Nothing else ever said that happened there except, boy, it was a big time place because that's where John the Baptist was. You know, anywhere that a believer ought to be ought to be a highlight uh, in the world. If we're, if we're there and serving, it ought to be a place where God is working. Well, anyway, he was there. Now, <clears throat> let's remember who he is. And I think we just miss this if we're not careful. He's a very unique person. He's the son of Zacharias. He was born to Elizabeth when she was too old to have children. You read that in Luke chapter 1. He gave the first witness of Jesus while he was still in the womb of his mother, Mary. He was at the six-month point, and Mary showed up to say hello to her aunt. And what happened? Well, John the Baptist leapt when he heard the voice of the mother of Jesus. And so we read that in Luke's Gospel 141. Zacharias, this is John's father. Who was he? Well, he was a priest. This is very significant. He was a priest. He had his vision concerning the coming of his son in his old age. He had this vision while he was serving his turn in the temple. That makes John the Baptist, now make sure you focus on this, that makes John the Baptist this locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, leather-belt, you know, so this guy, he was in the line of Aaron. By all rights, where should John the Baptist have been able to do his ministry? In Jerusalem, as part of the Aaronic priesthood, with all of his food provided for him, with fancy royal garments that he could wear all the time. Hmm. He's part of the Aaronic priesthood. He could have been in Jerusalem serving in the most honored place with the most honored position. He could have been eating the best portions of the sacrifices that the people brought to the temple. Just read Leviticus all about that. But no, he lived in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey. He did not dress in the ornate robes of the priesthood, put on camel hair clothing, strapped it down with a leather belt, and he ate crickets, grasshoppers, locusts. Prepare the way of the Lord, he said. The Messiah is coming soon. Get ready. John the Baptist would have little in common with what passes for Christian ministry today. I'm just being honest. I don't know that doing exactly what John was called to do is what everybody is called to do, but there are three things about him 
three great evidences, three marks of a faithful witness that I want you to see in this story of John the Baptist. The first one is God's servants seek no credit, only God's glory. God's true servants seek no credit, they only seek God's glory. Now, let me chase a rabbit if I can. You say, well, aren't you supposed to say, I don't want to chase a rabbit? No, 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 I want to chase a rabbit. And I want you to just follow me as I chase this rabbit for a morning, a moment here because it's very relevant. There have always been departures from the straight and narrow for ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, going all the way back to Demas. Do you remember Demas? What did he do? Well, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul's at the end of his ministry. He's all alone, needs help, but he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There have always been departures. There's always been, some of you this will ring with and some won't. There's always been Elmer Gantries in the world. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say Elmer Gantries? See, there's a crowd in here that's old enough to know. So, um, the last two or three decades, however, in the United States have been devastating to the cause of Christ devastating to the confidence in local church ministry, devastating to pastors who are truly seeking to serve God in humility and with passion. I don't need to tell you that the megachurch movement in America, the megachurch movement in America has led to many mega problems when pastors become celebrities. When their name becomes household words almost more familiar to people than the the biblical figures that we are supposed to be preaching about, especially Jesus, it seems that Satan is having a field day picking them off because they rise in pride and they think they are so important to God that he will never hold them accountable. In other words... Many times, pastors, preachers, public figures, dignitaries in the Christian movement can get to the place they hear so many, so many people praise them for so long, they get to the place where they, you know, they kind of look at it this way, God, you're really lucky to have me. Now, I'm going to tell you this, the Southern Baptist Convention, you say, I cannot believe you would say that. I'm just telling you. The Southern Baptist Convention, of which we are a member, has greatly tarnished their name, diminished their influence for the gospel because of recent revelations, and they had to be forced into the revelations. Hundreds of pastors guilty of all sorts of sexual sins have covered it up sometimes with the help of others in the name of not doing more damage to the cause of Christ. The Bible says only those who confess and forsake their sin are going to find mercy and be able to prosper. I feel like Ezra, when he came back to Jerusalem and found the people, including the priests and the leaders, doing the same despicable things that made God cast them out of Israel in the first place. They were doing terrible things. Ezra didn't say, well, look at them. Ezra tore his own clothes, threw dust in the air, sat down and wept all day long from the morning to the evening sacrifice. And all he would say is, is, is that we have sinned. Let me ask you a question. 
If the sanctified place of the pulpit is full of darkness where the light is supposed to come from, then where is the light going to come from? We need a revival in the worst way, and we need a revival in the churches of America. The Southern Baptists have not cornered the market on this evil, but they have participated. Could you stop and let me pray? I, I, I'm dumbfounded by the thought that people holding this in their hand and preaching from week to week think that they can live a double standard and God will be okay with it. Would you bow your heads? Father, I, I'm an imperfect man with sins of my own. Yet, Lord, I don't defend any sin. But, Lord, those that are supposed to be the light, those that are supposed to preach the truth, those that have been standing and calling people to repentance have been guilty of sin and when confronted, unwilling to repent. God, I pray that you would cleanse us. I pray that you would purge us. I pray, Father, that you would please help us. We, like Ezra, are too ashamed to even lift our faces. We like to point our fingers at the wicked world around us. But the truth is, we're wicked ourselves. Oh, Father. Would you please bring a great revival to the gospel-preaching churches of this nation? In Jesus' name, amen. So here's John the Baptist, and they have chased him down, and uh, there's a lot going on out there at Bethabara, and uh, so anything that's going on, the thing they needed to do was to send... They needed to send the TBI to investigate. You say the TBI. Well, that's the Temple Bureau of Investigation. <clears throat> and so they came out and they said to him, who are you? Who are you? And they, so they started asking questions. Are you the Christ? <laughs> uh, that is the Messiah, verse 19 to 20. Christos, that's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. In other words, are you that anointed one that was to come? John got a lot of attention in the first century world, and they were really anxious for the anointed one to come. They were expecting the Messiah. For centuries, they'd been expecting him. There were conflicting views of what he would do, but in general, he wanted to be, he was, they believed, going to be a miracle-working military figure of kingly stature. He's going to throw out the hated Romans, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, and he's going to bring everlasting peace and prosperity to the Jewish people. There were many during those 400 silent years from Malachi to Matthew who claimed to be the Messiah. Some gained quite a following. Most were either killed or ended up just going into nothing and just disappearing because they couldn't deliver on any of their promises. But here's what John said when they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And he said, I am not. Look at verse number 20. He confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. He said it twice, and so a wise servant of the Lord points people to Jesus and not to themselves. Amen? 
He did not point anyone to himself. He didn't say he was anybody. Very important. And I'll just say it this way, folks. No preacher is the Savior. None. No preacher is the Savior. Maybe that's why Paul the Apostle, the great preacher, said, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace that's able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. In other words, I don't commend you to me. I commend you to God. You know, God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Amen. Boy, we ought to get to know him. And that's the one we ought to follow. He says, are you Elijah? Verse number 21. Elijah was predicted to come before Messiah to prepare the way of the Lord based on the prophecy of Malachi 3, 1 and 4, 5. The Jews thought that Elijah himself would return in bodily form just before the Messiah returned to establish his earthly kingdom. Now, this guy was strikingly similar in mode of dress, manner of speech, power of ministry. Many verses, 2 Kings 1, 8, Matthew 3, 2, many others that showed the similarities between Elijah and John the Baptist. But he said clearly, I am not. So somebody's going to say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say he was Elijah? Well, not exactly. He said this. In Luke the 17, 10 to 13, he said, he was one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he wasn't Elijah. If you want to see Elijah when he comes back, that's Revelation chapter 11, verse 3 to 12. He does show up again. He went up in a whirlwind. He's yet to die normally. And so he went up in a whirlwind and he's still got to die because it's the point of the man wants to die. That's Revelation 11. Now, he asked him another question. They said, are you that prophet? Now, there's a lot of speculation about this one, but I think it's clear. What prophet do they mean? Well, the Jews were looking for somebody, perhaps Isaiah or Jeremiah, to make another appearance to fulfill a prophecy that was given to Moses. Moses was given a prophecy. I don't know if you have this verse written down, Deuteronomy 18, 15. He said this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Verse 18, God said it, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, talking about Moses, from among their brethren, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and it shall be that whoever will not hear his words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Interesting how he said that. He's going to speak all my words. He's going to say everything I tell him. He's going to do. And you know what Jesus said? I speak only what I hear the Father saying. How many times does he say that in John? I only do the works that I see him doing, and I don't say anything that he hadn't told me to tell. Do you know why? Because Jesus was the prophet that was to come. And so what did John do? He didn't say, boy, this is great, man. They really, I'm really, these guys have got me running with, I'm running with the big dogs. He didn't do that. He said, no, I am not that prophet. He didn't flatter himself or think himself important when people compared him to people of renown. As I've spoken briefly about celebrity pastors, one of the reasons they do become celebrity pastors is people begin to say things about them that are so glowing and so glorious that they can't quite handle it. Number two, God's servants know their calling and they obey their commission. That's verses 22 to 28. They know their calling and they obey their commission. They know their place. That's verse 22 and 23. They asked him, who are you? He said, well, I'm a voice. 
I'm a voice. I'm a forerunner. John had been raised up for the purpose. He raised his voice above the clamor of the crowd, and he declared that people should get ready for the Messiah. He didn't do it at the temple. He did it down by the riverside. He knew who he was, and he knew who he was not. He did not envy the ministry or work of another servant. And I can just tell you as a pastor, something that we always have to check our spirit is that we look around and see what other people are doing, what other people have. And it's very easy as a pastor to wish I have, wish I had his crowd. I wish I had his ability. I wish I was, I was under that situation. No, no, no. He didn't do any of those things. He knew who he was. He knew who he wasn't. He didn't envy the ministry or the work of another. He was pleased to do what God had called him to do. What a concept for every believer. We should never dismiss who God made us and desire to be somebody else. We should never dismiss exactly who God made us to be. You are the prototype of God, every person in this room. Every single person is a design of God. God makes no mistakes and he makes no junk. It's so important for you to get a grip on this. You do not have to be another person to make a difference. You have to be who God made you to be to serve him in the way that he made you to serve him. Boy, this is so important. John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not that proud. No, I'm certainly not the Messiah. I'm a voice. I'm going to do what he told me to do. I'm going to raise my voice and I'm just going to tell Jesus is coming. Whoa. Whoa. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. That's Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 and following. That's who he is. He says, I'm that voice. Something else they know is they don't just know that, they know their ministry. They know their ministry. They asked him another question. They said, well, why do you baptize? Why do you baptize? He said, if you're not one of those promised figures, what in the world are you doing baptizing? You see, the Jews understood baptism to be this. When people wanted to proselytize and come from being a pagan of some other, you know, some Gentile pagan, in order to become part of Judaism or to follow in the Jewish religion, they had to first go through a washing, a baptism. So they would be baptized. It was customary to be part of the Jewish community and to begin to worship with them. They had to go through these ceremonial washings, particularly baptism. So here's John out there and everybody that's coming to him, he's baptizing them. <laughs> and they said, what are you doing baptizing people if you're not any one of those people? Certainly you don't expect us Jews to be baptized. We don't need any kind of cleansing. We are the elect by birth. Uh, we were with God naturally. Sin and selfishness makes no difference to us. Our sin and our selfishness, that doesn't make any difference because, you see, we're chosen. We're in the family. We are the children of Abraham. Let You know, baptize these Gentile pagans. Don't baptize us. Why are you preaching repentance and baptism to the Jews? We want you to know it's an affront. It's a disrespectful insult to us for you to tell the Jews who are already included just by natural birth. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody's included in God's family by natural birth. Your, your parents may have built a church and your grandparents may have, you know, I don't care who did what and I don't care how spiritual anybody was. It's every single person coming to Jesus by faith individually. So important. He says, look, I baptized with water in preparation unto repentance. 
I baptize with water in preparation unto repentance. Now, let's not mince words here this morning. Let's not play games with God in this room. There is no salvation without repentance. There is none. You know, what is repentance? Well, I've told you before. I better share it again. What is repentance? Well, repentance is this is my life. And it's the direction I'm going with all of my envy and all of my jealousy and all of my hatred and all of my loves and all of my hates. And this is me. And this is my life. And this is what I believe in. This is my set of values. But I hear the good news of the gospel. I hear that Jesus died to save me from my sins and that I've been thinking wrong. And so my thinking changes and my action changes and I repent. And I'm going a new direction in life. Not that direction, a new direction in life. Repentance. Now, this is what John the Baptist preached. He preached repentance um, and faith to those people. That's what he preached. You say, well, was he real vigorous about it? Well, listen to God's Word. Matthew chapter 3 talks about it. Verse number 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. Boy, that'll win you some friends and influence, influence some people, won't it? Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says, look, I'm just baptizing with water, but this is not a joke. Repent. There is no salvation without repentance. Today, I think too many people want a gospel of love without a mention of sin. They want a gospel that includes repentance. They, they, want, a, they want a gospel of love without a mention of sins. And the very gospel itself, I can tell you this morning, includes repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus, Acts 20, 21. Very sadly, too many want to come to Jesus for a free ticket to heaven, but they don't want Jesus to touch their life. Save me, but don't change me. I'm a thief. I'm a murderer. I'm a rapist. I'm a homosexual. I'm a lesbian. I'm a bisexual, transsexual. That's what I am. Just as I am, I come. Just as I am, I'll stay. Sorry, that's not scriptural, biblical salvation. Anybody, just as you are, can come to Jesus, but he will change you. How many of you are glad he changed you? Say amen. Well, I don't want to be who I was. Amen. Thank God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, those he foreknew, he also predestinated to conform to the image of his son. In other words, if he has called you to himself, then his plan for you is to be, and predestination for you is to be like Jesus. What's God want out of you? Be like Jesus. You say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, just keep growing in grace. But don't turn around and go back. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I'm not going to dwell on it. I talked about it last time in Ephesians. Jesus will baptize you with fire. Now, he's not going to do both. He's not going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit or he's going to baptize you with fire. You say, what, 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 what? Well, you can't be talking about hell, Pastor Phil, because, you know, we, this is the 21st century and, you know, we're modern. We've gotten past all those myths and all those things like that. There's no place called hell, really. Out of Jesus' mouth, Luke 12, 5, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. 
I say fear him. He said, Pastor, do you believe in the biblical doctrine of hell? I can answer that with a simple question. I believe in the Bible. Totally. So therefore, I believe in it. They know their limitations. Jesus is worthy of all preference. He's worthy of all preeminence, verse 27 to 28. His servants are worthy of the place of a slave. Now, notice this. This is a different perspective. John says he's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. And just want you to know, I'm not even worthy to loose the shoe latchet, the thong of his, of his sandals. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, folks, you say, let me say, well, what, what position is he taking? Well, you know, it was a slave in a household that when guests came, they were the ones that would wash the feet of the guests. And to do that, they had to take the sandals off. And so John the Baptist, who's preaching, said... I'm lower than the slaves who wash the feet, and I'm not even worthy to loose the latchet of the shoe of my Savior. God's servants proclaim, proclaim God's message, not their own message, verse 29 to 36. Folks, we're very unfaithful to the Word of God if we try to change, soften, or make God's Word fit the current culture. Let me say that again. We are unfaithful to the Word of God if we try to change, soften, or make God's Word fit the current culture. We are not to bend the Bible to our lifestyles. Let's don't do any Bible bending. Let's not, let's not be guilty of trying to bend the Bible to fit the culture. Jesus, John preached it in verse 29, behold the lamb. Every Jew knew what they did with the lamb. You offered him as a sacrifice. Behold the lamb. Well, you offered him for your sin, that of your household. It was a morning and evening event at the temple every day. It was also a household event at the Passover. Very familiar. John the Baptist, when he pointed and said, behold the lamb, it would have been a moment. Because lambs are meant for slaughter. Behold the lamb, and he takes away the sin of the world. Don't have time to finish this. I'd like you to just stop with me for a minute and just think about this bottom part. We are witnesses, every one of us. John kept announcing it. He kept preaching it. He kept talking about, behold, he didn't preach himself. He preached Christ. He said, well, what can we do with this, Pastor? What am I supposed to do with this kind of message from the Word of God? Well, we are witnesses as well. We are witnesses of what we have seen, heard, and experienced personally. We are we are. Witnesses of the coming of the Holy Spirit at our salvation in our life. What are we supposed to do? Well, we have a Savior, so let's worship Him. That's number one. Worship before your work. We're good about this. Let's get busy for God. No, let's, let's get on our knees in front of God first. Let's, let's worship Him. Worship before we work. And then we got a voice. Let's use it. We have a voice. Who was John the Baptist? I'm a voice. <laughs> I've just got a voice, and I'm going to use it. We have a voice. Let's use it to proclaim Jesus. We have influence. Let's take the opportunity to share Jesus. And we have the gospel. If you haven't received Jesus, you need to receive him. I'll close with this question. What if you made it a point to not let a week pass without seeking to use your voice as a witness? What if you made it a point in your heart. Okay, I'm not going to let another week pass without seeking an opportunity to use this voice to speak about Jesus to somebody.
you know, John chapter 1 is full of witnesses. This room is full of witnesses. Witness is both a noun and a verb. I am a witness. Therefore, I witness. Father, please add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word. If there's one here that does not know you as Savior, please draw them to yourself today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.